Our text today is from the book of Revelation, and I invite you to turn with me. We're about, uh, we're a little over halfway through chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 11 through 18. Glenn Da Silva and his two old college buddies, Chris Harn and Derek Davis, got back together as they were scheming and planning on a counterfeit way to make some money. What they decided to do was get themselves involved in the horse racing industry and to try to deceive and have a ploy and a plot whereby they could get some free money. Chris worked for Autotote, which was the company that handles most of the racing tickets, and he noticed something. He noticed that there were many unclaimed winning tickets in the horse racing industry. So he had this bright idea. What he did is he said, what I will do is I will go into the computer and get the serial numbers of the unclaimed winning tickets, and I will create a pseudo ticket with the serial number on it, and I will try my luck. Well, he hit the jackpot. Now, of course, what he's doing is illegal, but that doesn't come to his mind until a little bit later. So he goes to New York, and he places that pseudo ticket into the machine, the betting machine, and sure enough, that machine begins to give him hundreds and even thousands of dollars. So they were making $6,000 a month on this counterfeit scheme, but they got greedy. And here's what they decided to do. They said, let's go for a bigger prize. Let's go to the Breeders' Cup, and let's see if our plan will work then. So that's what they did. They went to the pick six, where you pick the winners of six consecutive races. Well, that's easy for them because they just printed tickets for every scenario. But they had no idea that Volponi, a 43 to 1 odds, would win the race. They were holding a $3.1 million ticket. Well, the authorities begin to investigate that, and they begin to uh, unscramble their little code, their little counterfeit, their little scheme. And what they found out that was De Silva and Harn and Davis had been making thousands of dollars illegally. Of course, this led to an in-depth investigation and ultimately to their arrest. Counterfeit is big business in our world today. There are people that love to replicate and duplicate the real in order that they might benefit from the false. There's coming a day in America where all the counterfeiting schemes and the ploys and the duplicity, they're all going to be amalgamated into one person, and this person will be the epitome of counterfeit, and he's none other than the Antichrist. And the Bible tells us explicitly about him and about his cohort, a person that we know as the false prophet. So I want to read for you in the Word of God in, Re in Revelation 13. I want to introduce to you this person, this figure that the Bible refers to him simply as another beast, but he comes out of the earth unlike the first beast, the Antichrist, that comes out uh, of the sea. And today on Palm Sunday, you know, it's interesting, as we, as we unpack this and un unveil this passage of Scripture, you know, when, whenever you see the counterfeit and the duplicitous, the pseudo, the fake, and when you juxtapose it up against the real deal, it always makes the real shine even brighter. And that's what jewelers do. That's what they'll do. They'll take a black backdrop and they'll place those sparkling diamonds on that black backdrop in order that the brilliance 
and the radiance of those diamonds would shine even brighter, much brighter than were you to put them on a white or a pink or a red, you put them on a black. And that's what we're doing today. We're putting it on display so that we can appreciate even more the real Christ. John said, in my vision, I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns, watch this, like. Here's the scheme. He looks one way on the outside, but on the inward, he's totally different. He has two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Verse 12, please. We are free. Do y'all have verse 12? I've got it. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Now keep in mind, the first beast is always the Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come out of heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he, the second beast, the false prophet, deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast, who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small, micros in the Greek, which little, bitty, small, and megalon, which is great, the rich, the poor, the free, and the slave. He causes all of them to receive a mark on their right hand and on their forehands. Brother Danny, is this where we read in the Bible about the mark of the beast? And it precisely is. And it says, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here now is the wisdom of God. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and it is the number 666. Now before we get into this text, keep in mind our context of where we are in our study of the book of Revelation. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 view the apocalypse from the perspective of the unholy trinity, all right? Keep that in mind. 12, 13, and 14 is viewed from Satan's perspective. Now, in verse chapter 15, when we pick up chapter 15, it will begin the chronology again. But 12, 13, and 14, John is presenting to us from Satan's perspective what the end times will look like, what the great tribulation will look like. You say, did I hear you say the unholy trinity? Absolutely. And remember, whenever God has the real, the devil always has the counterfeit. Listen, that is true in every sphere of life. In marriage, Satan has something to counterfeit it. In the genuine, he has something false to counterfeit it. In the true church that preaches the Word of God, he has a false church that is watered down and does not preach the Word of God. When you have the Holy Trinity, you got the unholy Trinity. You got God the Father, the corollary is Satan the dragon. You've got God the Son, who is Jesus Christ. You have the Antichrist, which is known in our text here as the beast. And then you have God the, what's, who's the third person of the Trinity? The Holy Spirit, 
Ah, that's this guy. He is the false prophet, and he mimics and imitates the work of the real Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, He will glorify me, and He helps us so that we can worship the Son, and that's precisely what this false prophet's going to do. He's going to work up signs and and wonders and all these, these means whereby the duped, deceived world will worship this charismatic figure known as the Antichrist. So today, we're going to preach a whole sermon on the false prophet. We're going to look at his person, his persuasion, and his power. So let's go back to our text. I want to uh, move to Revelation uh, chapter 13. Look with me, if you will, again in verse 13 where John says, and I saw, I saw this beast coming not out of the sea, but he's coming out of the earth. The Greek word here, it's interesting. The word, it's a small little word. It says like, like. The word like is alos in Greek. It means like of a very similar kind. So the Bible says the Antichrist is portrayed as coming out of the abyss or coming out of the sea, and the false prophet is portrayed as coming out of the earth. One writer puts it this, and this helped me understand this, in the minds of the ancients, none of the terrestrial animals could compare in magnitude with monsters of the sea, monsters from the deep. So coming out of the earth in itself indicated a degree of inferiority. The false prophet is inferior in power to the first beast. Notice he has these two horns, and he looks like a lamb. He looks gentle and innocent and loving and like little bitty lamb, just as kind and meek and lowly, but inwardly he's a ravenous beast. Inwardly, he has been animated and empowered by none other than the dragon, who of course is Satan, which Jesus said in John 8, Let me tell you what he's really like. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He disguises himself as your friend. Oh, you can do this. Don't worry about what God says. Don't worry about all those laws, commandments of God. You do what you want to do. Sleep with who you want to sleep with. Go do what you want to do. Make as much money as you want. If you have to do it uh, deceitfully, that's okay. And just do it. And, that, that, and Jesus said he's a liar. He's always been that way. Ever since he fell out of heaven, Lucifer now, he lies, he seeks to steal and kill and destroy, and he has this person who's going to do uh, his bidding. After the church is being taken away in the rapture, the religions of the world are all going to be combined. They are going to be a conglomerate amalgamation of all religions where If you have exclusive tendencies, you are not going to be tolerated in this coming age. Um, The Antichrist, keep this in mind, he will lead from the perspective of a political economic vantage point, okay? But the false prophet will not. He will lead from the the disguise of religion. And in Revelation chapter 17, we'll teach on that. We'll see it even, even more clearly. But keep that in mind. The Antichrist, economics, and politics, and the false prophet more from uh, religion. And again, the purpose of the Antichrist, the purpose of his resurrection, if you will, and by the way, that's the sign, that's the miraculous event that's going to happen in the end times that's going to cause the world just to grovel over themselves and just to worship this person. But the purpose behind the Antichrist, and I put in quotations resurrection, because I don't know how he's going to do this. I don't know if God's going to actually allow him the power to do it. I don't know if this is a sleight of hand. I don't know if this is a resuscitation. I don't know what it is. But it all goes back to the purpose of the resurrection of the Antichrist is deception. 
but the purpose of the risen real Christ is always salvation. You get it? You see, when you depict the real, when you put the real up against the fake and the phony, it even makes the real shine uh, ever, ever brighter. Verse 13 says, he is a performer, the false prophet. He will perform to the earth dwellers all of these signs and wonders, and people will be deceived, and they will begin to worship this coming uh, Antichrist. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about this. We just don't talk a lot about it because it's uncomfortable. Um, It is uncomfortable, by the way, to talk about the the end times and the deception and the ploys that are going to be uh, that are going to come. Let me read 1 John 2, 18 and 22, because John warns us. He tells us about the coming of this Antichrist. That's 1 John 2, 18. If y'all could help me scroll to that. Who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. And then look at the next one. Uh, so we're having, we're having difficulty there. Let me, let me go to it. I've got to go to verse 18. We are free. Don't mind if I sing just a little while I turn. How did they preach without PowerPoint in the New Testament? I have no idea. 1 John 2, 18 says this. There he is. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist, capital A, is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is uh, the last hour. So people are going to be deceived. It's going to be very gullible. They're going to want to look for the supernatural. They're going to provide it. This unholy trinity is going to provide it. And you see the person here of this false prophet. Number two, let me go to this persuasion. Verse 14 says he's going to be very convincing. And he's going to use this mock resurrection as the galvanizing point to lead people to worship not the Christ, the real Christ, but the pseudo, the anti. He's already broken the first of the Ten Commandments. What is the first of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other God before me. You shall worship the Lord God and Him alone. Well, the false prophet's already broken that one. But number two, now he breaks the second commandment. You shall make no graven idol or image, nothing of the, of the sort should be among us, and yet he does. He creates this image, and then he gives this, um, this command that you are to worship the image, and if you don't worship the image, then you're going to be either uh, economically boycotted, not be able to buy food, or you're going to be martyred and put to the death. Now, this is not uncommon at least in the first century, because the Roman emperors, almost all of them, demanded worship. Uh, They demanded that that people literally bow down before them, and those who do not, well, they're going to pay the consequences. I remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, and it's like he, he, He told us these things. He's warning us of this future to come, for He says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise. Isn't that interesting? That He says both false Christs and false prophets within the same, uh, almost within the same breath, the same sentence, will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, Jesus said, I have told you uh, beforehand. And then 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who do perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, 
that they might be saved. One of our church members, Russell White, has written a book entitled An Interview with the Devil. And in the book, which he, uh, he I think you gave me, a, there's a copy on my desk, Russell. Can, can I have that? Thank you, wherever you are. I appreciate it. If you just sign it, I'll keep it because I don't borrow books from church members, but I do receive them if you give them to me. Amen. Um, long story. I won't go there. But anyhow, in, in, in this book, he says, you know what's so amazing? All of this is recorded in the Bible, but 99% of the world don't know it. They, they, they won't read it, both in the Hebrew Old Testament and in the Greek New Testament, and we have translations. It's all spelled out for us very clearly how it's going to all go down, but they would rather not read it and, and be duped. And it's sad, and Russell, I agree with you. I think that is in, extremely sad. Have you ever noticed, uh, have you been to the movies lately? Anybody been to the movies lately? I tell you what, I just about, when I go to see the movie, I'm getting where I want to come in late so I don't have to watch the, the, pre, the pre-shows, you know, all these other movies about demons. And have you ever noticed that? I mean, our world is absolutely infatuated with the supernatural, whether it be demons or, help me now, it starts with an A, aliens. My word, if I see another movie about some grotesque alien. And, and, and then, there's another popular genre of movie that has come out, and it's all apocalyptic. And The Hunger Games and Divergent is all a recreation of, in man's mind, what would happen in a nuclear holocaust, what will happen when District 13 is the only thing alive and well. You know, and then you got the, and, and what it is, it's man's attempt, because why? Because we're fascinated with it. We're very intrigued and fascinated with how things are going to turn out in the end. Remember the movie Armageddon, Bruce Willis and the gang, you know, walking off the spaceship, man, come out there. They're going to save the world. Has nothing to do with the Scripture and what's really going to happen. But, you know, what I'm finding, you know, is, is Hollywood and those movies, they don't make any moral demands on me. But Jesus does. And Jesus calls for my allegiance and for my worship. And so that's, that's the dividing point. That's, that's the sticking point. Well, the devil's going to have his unholy trinity. This false prophet's going to be very persuasive. And I like the way John MacArthur sums this up. He says, the sobering passage that we're looking at is not intended to be the source of fruitless speculation about its details. Rather, it stands really as a warning to an unbelieving world. And it challenges believers to lead a careful, watchful, godly life. And, listen to this. This whole story, this whole narrative of the Antichrist and his false prophet, it should motivate believers to evangelize a hopelessly lost world headed for destruction. Believers are to faithfully proclaim the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and thereby rescue the souls of men and women from the disaster that looms just over the horizon, end of quote. Finally this morning, I want us to look at the remaining remainder of our time at at His power in verses 15 through 18. And I want to take a few minutes to investigate with you this whole concept of 666, the mark of the beast, on the forehead, on the hand, and and try to, best we can, analyze that. I don't think we'll ever understand it completely until it happens. That's very important, by the way. We're not going to understand this completely until this person arrives on the scene. But we'll look at it, we'll try to understand as much as we can. So verse 15, did I read this correctly? That this image, this unanimated, inanimated object is all of a sudden going to take on an animated voice, and this image is going to speak, and the image is going to say, you have to worship me, this image, 
of the Antichrist. You say, well, how in the world is that going to happen? You ever heard of demons, by the way? Anybody? You ever heard of a demonic voice speaking on behalf of another person? Listen, this is what's going to happen. This demonic voice is going to speak out of this image, and the people of the world are going to go, oh my word, have you ever seen stone and steel speak? This must be of God. This must be real. And so they began to bow down and worship. Verse 16 says, the second beast, the false prophet causes the people, here it is, to receive his mark. And the mark of the beast, small and great, rich and poor, high and low of society, they must take it or else they're going, they're going to perish. Now, how's this going to go down? Well, here's my theory. I, I think it's going to be some digital chip that they're going to insert in humanity, and that, that is the way that it's going to go down. And so that you can buy everything with your little chip. And, and by the way, the technology for this is already here. I'm going to take just a few minutes, and for some of you more engineer, scientific people, you're going to love this. The rest of you are probably not going to like it, but I'm going to, I'm going to share it with you because I've studied it hard, and I want, to, I want to make sure I say this. Okay, so we're going to look at the advent of GPS, Global Positioning Systems, and we're going to look at two companies, Digital Angel and Applied Digital Solutions. Now, these companies have spent multi-millions, if not billions of dollars on perfecting this craft of the size of about a grain of rice of a chip that can be inserted on a person, an animal, uh, a or whatever they want to insert it in so that they could keep up with it and keep track with it. Now, it's really interesting. A lady by the name of Jane Black has written in Business Week Online, and she says, do you think this is voluntary? Maybe it's not. But now imagine that this same chip is used by a totalitarian government. By the way, Jane Black, I don't know her background or spiritual background. I, I just know she's writing in Business Weekly, okay? She said, but imagine this chip being used by a totalitarian government to keep track of or round up political activists or others who are considered enemies of the state. In the wrong hands, their chip could empower the wrong people. Applied Digital Solutions Vice President Keith Bolton insists that very chips will be used only in voluntary situations. But, she writes, the company gives up control of how devices are used once they're sold to customers. The U.S. government might consider regulating the international sale of the Verichip tracking device in much the same way it regulates the sale of arms to rogue states, she writes, end of quote. Then on Digital Angel's website, it has these words. By utilizing advanced sensor capabilities, Digital Angel is able to monitor key functions, listen to this, such as ambient temperature and physical movement and transmit that data along with accurate emergency location information to a ground station or monitoring facility. I was just watching Hunger Games again the other night. That's a fascinating scene we wax her over the head and I was like, what is that girl doing to poor Katniss? And she cuts her, she takes the little device, the tracking device out, the chip out. I watch these movies again. It's like I've never seen them. I don't know if anybody else is like that. They're just all brand new to me. I watch them once, and then to watch them again, they're all brand new. So here it is. So the, they transmit this data along with accurate emergency location information to a ground station or monitoring facility. The company also invented and manufactures and markets implantable, here it is, listen, listen carefully, implantable identification microchips the size of a grain of rice for humans, pets, fish, 
and livestock. Digital Angel Corps owns the patents for all of this and its inventions and all applications of the implantable microchip technology for humans and for animals." End of quote. I think that's how it's going to go down. Somehow you're going to be able to receive a chip, and you say, but how does that correlate to the 666, and how is all of that related to the Antichrist? And the simple answer is, I don't know. And I don't think anybody will know, and I think we can play linguistic games, we can play mathematical games, and boy, have people. They have all kinds of theories and, and, and ideas, but I believe with the, with the people I've read that said that it's, it's futile because here's what's going to happen. In the great tribulation, the believers who are, or who are here that have not been taken away, they're going to say, there it is. And somehow it's going to be most conspicuous that that 666 is going to be related to the Antichrist and they're going to, they're going to figure it out. I want to close with this thought about the number six. You ever thought about this? What is the number of wholeness completion in the Bible? It's seven. A triple six, it's almost like it's God's way of saying pseudo, pseudo, pseudo. Deception, deception, deception. Fake, fake, fake. Six is the number of man. But seven is the number of completion. One writer says this, the triple six has each digit falling short of the perfect number seven. So is the number of man. The number then limits the beast to man's level, which is far short of the deity of Christ. The identity of the person represented by the number 666 should not be a subject of speculation, he writes, until that person arrives on the earthly scene. That's what I was saying earlier. It is true that 666 has a secondary implication regarding human limitation, but its primary meaning will be to help Christians of the future recognize the false Christ when He becomes a public figure. Let me just read a scripture to you that's going to really encourage you before I I close. Revelation 20.10 talks about the unholy trinity, and here's where they're going to end up. The devil, number one, who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where number two, the beast, and number three, the false prophet are. Now watch this. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In other words, the Bible says Jesus wins. Jesus prevails and He wins. David Jeremiah, he tells this story, it's such a cool story about Johann Sebastian Bach, who's a brilliant a genius of a, of a German composer. Don't hit, get him confused with, like I did with Beethoven. At first I thought, this story it can't be true because he was, he was deaf. That's, not, that's the other guy, okay? That's Beethoven. This is Bach. He, he can hear clearly. In fact, though, I did read he started to lose his eyesight toward the end of his life. But anyhow, they couldn't wake him up. When he would go to sleep, his kids would get frustrated with their dad, and they just could never get him out of the bed to go do whatever they wanted him to do. And they found out a way, true story, that they could arouse their sleeping dad out of his slumber, and here's how they would do it. They would go to a musical instrument in the house, and they would play every line except the last line, or the last note. And Bach would get up, he would would rise up and go, and he would go, he'd find that he was crazy genius. And he would go to the piano or go to whatever musical instrument, and he would, he would click it, and he would say, that. And then he'd look around, and these kids were like, got you up again, didn't we, Dad? 
Donald Gray Barnhouse read this story, and he said, you know, I'm going to try this and see how this works in my house. And so he did. He played Silent Night, Holy Night in his home, but he didn't Silent Night, Holy Night. All is calm, all is... Does that bother any of y'all? Just, it bothers me. I'm like, bride. Say, say, bride. So he did that. And he, and he said, and he just watched his kids. His one son, he said, he went scurrying around for his harmonica. He's found his harmonica and, and, and played the note. Another son, he, 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 ran, he ran and got him a musical instrument. And then another one said these words, did you do that on purpose? Shouting at this dad, did you do that on purpose? You see, there's something within us that wants completion, that wants finality. Six is not it. Seven is it. Listen to David Jeremiah and these words. These are powerful words. 666 reminds us that something is missing. The end of the story has not been told. Can I add parenthetically, the chord has not been struck. The final note has not been tapped. A man whose mark is 666 will arise on the world stage for a few short moments in the future, and then he will be judged. Like a song without a final note, the Antichrist cannot bring history to its final closure. Only the true God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, can do that. He is a perfect seven, as are all who find refuge in Him in eternity." Whew, the false prophet. Glad that sermon's done. Thank you, by the way, for listening and praying for me. Someone today, maybe for the first time, you've recognized your need for Christ, the real Christ. You recognize there's something missing in your life, and you know that you are very gullible for the supernatural. In fact, you're very intrigued by it. And today, though, the Spirit of God has opened your heart, He's opened your mind. And by the way, that's the only way you can be saved, is the Spirit of God has to come to you and show you your need, your sin, reveal Christ to you. It is by grace that you will be saved today, and I pray that you will. I pray that you will give your life uh, to the Lord today. Others of you are here today, and you know the Lord. And you're growing in your relationship with Christ. We're teaching you the Word of God, and you're getting deep and strong. And I just praise the Lord for that. I'm grateful. So many of you have been so faithful in, in coming to Great Hills and being faithful in our mission and our evangelism. And I just want you to know I appreciate that, and I appreciate you praying for me. Had a low moment this week, and I praise God for the Holy Spirit and my wife. I, I just was really down on Thursday and thinking, you know, woe is me. I'm the only one preaching Revelation. Nobody else is doing this. A lot of people don't want to hear it. It's Palm Sunday, and still I got to preach it. And, and I was just like, let me just eat some worms and suck some lemons and die. That's just what I'll do. I'll just die, you know. Not that any of you ever walk down that path. None of y'all ever have a bad day, a bad week. I mean, I had that this week. It was hard. It was harsh. And my wife, she just looks at me, she goes, oh, really? She said, you ever heard of David Jeremiah? And I was like, don't talk to me. <laughs> what about, um, who was the other one, Ashley, you mentioned? Who? But Jack Graham? You ever heard of Jack Graham? Little mission church up in Plano, you know, uh, Preston World, Preston Wood? She said, those guys are preaching. They're preaching the same thing you're preaching. Oh, I hate it when she's right. You know, I just like, ugh, you know. But it, but it helped me. It, it pulled me out of my probably demonically induced depression. 
because I am trying with all that I've got to do this, to pastor this church and to preach the Bible verse by verse. And it is a prodigious challenge. With my own proclivity for weakness and temptation, my own proclivity to be depressed, I cry out to you to pray for me as I preach through Revelation. I really do. I beg you to pray for me or I'm not going to finish it. I won't finish it if I have weeks like I've had this week because it's too much. It's too intense. If you were the devil, which is not too hard for some of you to imagine, if you were the devil, as weak and as pitiful as the preacher is in this case, would you not target him? Because he is showing people this is really the truth. This is what's going down in the future of the world. Some of you are here today, and I'm so glad that you've, you've been praying, and I've seen you visit our church on numerous occasions, and I praise you for your bravery and for coming, and, and you may want to come today and be a part of Great Hills and join our church fellowship. That would be awesome. We, we welcome you today. So let me lead us in prayer. have our invitation. We'll be dismissed. Father, we give you praise today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we believe it and we preach it in season and out of season. When we want to, when we don't want to, when we feel like it, when we don't feel like it. It's just like my people, Lord, living the Christian life. There are days, God, they don't feel like it. They would rather maybe do something else with their lives, but they don't because they're faithful. And they know, Lord, they know deep down that this is the truth. And so, Lord, I just pray for them. I pray that you would bless them. I ask them to pray for me. I want to pray for them to be strong in the face of temptation, to be strong in this cultural tsunami of tolerance and this whole precursor to this one world religion where everything is, is, is tolerated except strong belief. So I pray for them as I pray for myself, Lord, that we would be faithful until the end. Lord, we ask you to speak to people today and encourage people. I know, Lord, without a doubt, there have been people this week like myself, who struggled, but Lord, you've brought us through, and yet there are others still today that are struggling. And Lord, they just need a fresh touch from you. Would you help them? Would you encourage them? Even now, for I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you. God bless you. Terry's going to lead us in our hymn of invitation, song of praise to the Lord. If you're here today and you want somebody to pray with you, encourage you, you can come to the altar. You can um, take one of our counselors, one of our pastors. Or you may just want to stay where you are and just stand and with everybody else singing, you may just want to lift your eyes to the Lord and just do business with Him there where you, where you stand. Brother Terry, you lead us. God bless you.